This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Good morning. It's Monday, September the 18th, 2023. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown. Coming to you on AMI-tv, I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. Coming up on the show today, what was Hurricane Lee made its way through the maritime provinces on the weekend. Michelle McQuig of the Canadian Press will talk about some of the newsworthy notes from the storm. Accessibility standards, they vary from country to country. Well, Kim Thistle's making her way across Europe. She'll talk about her travel experience in Italy. And what's stopping you from trying something new in your fitness routine? Ryan Van Praet works out some answers. That and so much more coming your way over the course of the next couple of hours. But the show begins with the top story of the day. Members of Parliament return to Ottawa today. Brenda Molina-Navidad sets the table. While some of the most heated debates this fall will surround bail reform, gun restrictions and climate change, it's housing costs and grocery bills that will likely dominate the agenda. Industry Minister Francois-Philippe Champagne will get things moving this morning when he meets with the heads of Canada's biggest grocery chains, seeking a plan to curb the growing cost of food. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says the heads of Loblaws, Sobeys, Metro, Costco and Walmart Canada have until Thanksgiving to show a plan to lower prices or the government may step in to force the issue. Brenda Molina Navidad, The Canadian Press. In another federal story, Canada is joining a partnership to send air defense missiles to Ukraine. Lisa Laporte has the details. Defence Minister Bill Blair announced Canada's $33 million contribution on a visit to Canadian soldiers helping train Ukrainian recruits in Britain. The money comes from the $500 million fund that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced in June for military assistance in Ukraine. That same month, the UK, Denmark, the Netherlands and the US partnered to deliver hundreds of short and medium-range air defence missiles to help Ukraine protect itself against Russian missile and drone attacks. Lisa Laporte, the Canadian Press. And another major international story, the United Nations General Assembly takes place this week in New York. World leaders are already arriving. Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie reflects on the opportunities that the General Assembly presents. Uh, The UN General Assembly is a unique opportunity to meet with many countries that we don't get to meet all the time that are not necessarily members of the G20 or not necessarily members of NATO. And my goal will be to engage with them, to listen to them, and to work on finding solutions together. Jolie outlines Canada's priorities this week. We're in the midst of an international security crisis. That's the reality in which Canada and the world is right now. So now is the time to reach out to a wide group of partners, our existing friends, but also we need to develop new relationships and and deepen these new relationships. Climate change will be a major focus at the Assembly. Protests took place all over the world this weekend, demanding action from governments on the issue. Brazil, for example, is implementing more ambitious climate goals. Karen Chemis has more. Brazil is going back to commitments it had made as part of the Paris Agreement. The announcement was made by the country's Committee on Climate Change, a joint body made up of 18 government ministries. During the tenure of far-right President Jair Bolsonaro, Brazil backtracked on its commitment to reducing national emissions, as was agreed in Paris in 2015. According to online platform Climate Watch, Brazil is the world's fifth largest emitter of greenhouse gases, contributing nearly 3% of global emissions. I'm Karen Chamas. 
And coming back to Canada, hundreds of executives and government officials from oil-producing nations are gathering in Calgary this week for the 24th World Petroleum Congress. The event occurs every three years. Canada has not played host since the year 2000. Oil prices topped $90 U.S. a barrel last week for the first time since November of last year. The Congress is led by WPC Energy. WPC is an organization made up of nearly 65 member countries. That's your look at the news. Here come the daily polls. On Friday, you were asked about cybersecurity. Several provinces and territories had their websites get hacked last week due to cyber attacks. So I asked the question, at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook, how concerned are you about cybersecurity? 71% of you said very, 29% of you said somewhat, 0% of you said a little, and 0% of you said not at all. All. Today's daily poll comes from the world of public transit. It does require a little bit of setup. A town in North Carolina had a pretty innovative public transit idea. Chuck Sievertson explains. The experiment is whether public transit systems can take a cue from private rideshare services, Lyft and Uber. The city of Wilson, North Carolina, ended its bus service in 2020. Instead of a fixed route system, Wilson's offering on-demand van trips anywhere in town. You order up a ride with a smartphone app, $1.50 a ride. Even in the pandemic, when transit ridership plummeted in many places in Wilson, North Carolina, it surged 300%. Chuck Sievertson, ABC News. A little bit of context for you here. I went to the Google machine this morning, and according to 2021 census data from the United States government, the town of Wilson is only 50,000 people. That's like barely a couple blocks of the neighborhood where AMI HQ is located. So I understand this is a small-scale idea, but there's something to it. There is something to it. So today's Daily Poll, at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. The town of Wilson, North Carolina, replaced bus service with on-demand van trips. Ridership increased. What's your innovative public transit idea? On-demand service, expanded hours, free fares, or other? At Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. Amanda Shikarchi, what's your innovative public transit idea? I do agree that free fares would be a nice touch to the public transit service, but I also like the idea of on demand because then it's like, you know, you can get to the location more easily because it's going where you want it to go. So I think I'm definitely in between these two. And also, maybe if you give me free food, that would definitely (laughs) be an incentive to take transit. (laughs) A little coffee machine on the bus. Now we're talking Starbus, if you will, not Starbucks, (laughs) Starbus. It should be noted that a lot of paratrans services across the country are essentially on-demand services, but as anyone who has to use these services will tell you, um, they are not reliable and they do not always take you right where you want to go in a efficient way. So uh, if someone in Canada does want to implement on-demand service from the paratrans or wheeltrans model, I would say uh, you, you need to do a little bit better if you're going to do that one. Megan Gilmore, what about you? What's your innovative public transit idea? Okay, well, my snarky response is, uh, how about transit that actually has working, you know, like working buses and LRTs and that type of <laughs> is, thing? Is that the is that the Ottawa is that the Ottawa influencing you as you sit there, Megan? Yes, actually, and Ottawa is experimenting with on-demand transit in certain neighborhoods right now, and there's like a looming question mark that I haven't gotten answered yet, and I can look into this. People are curious. Because there were rumors going around that they were actually going to be using the paratranspo, which is our um, like accessible uh, transit buses, that they were going to be using some of those for the on-demand buses. So it's like a whole thing about like what is actually being used and how is this happening. I think on-demand can have a place and it can work, but I do not think it should be used at the expense of accessible transit. There's my thought. Well, co- controversial take, Megan. I know, super controversial. Um, My other innovative idea, besides things that just work, um, I think expanded hours could be helpful in some places. Um, I don't think fares should necessarily be free because that raises questions about how are we funding this? Like, where are we 
going to get the money to operate it and what else are you going to have to change in your municipal budget to be able to do that i think reduced fares are important i do really like what toronto did a few years ago where if you were somebody who had like any form of social assistance you got you could get a reduced uh bus fare instead of it just being like for cnib clients Mm -hmm. um so that i really like but i do think like different like tiered fairs like a way to get people into it but i think if you're going to be innovative you at least have to be reliable and safe yeah the notion of the on-demand thing going back to this idea of fifty thousand people in wilson north carolina mm-hmm. okay the, the the scale is so small on-demand works but you are right to identify about what kind of merit exists within an individual neighborhood right. that if you have people for example who live in ottawa suburbs where there are mainstream mainline buses that can fire you downtown pretty quickly but getting to that bus within the neighborhood the equivalent of a four or five minute drive ends up being 45 minutes or an hour via bus just to get to that connecting bus it does beg a question of what kind of commuter service could exist inside the morning to get people to that main point. So maybe it's not a situation where you've got a large-scale bus operation uh, taking people from door to door to door to door, but I wonder about getting people to, say, a subway station or an LRT station or a transit hub Mm -hmm. and saying, hey, we've got vans that are good to hold, like, eight or ten people, and we're just going to literally scoop you like a group Uber ride or an Uber share ride. Like, there there could be something there that says more people are going to be willing to do this rather than wait, like, walk for ten minutes and then wait for a bus that comes every 45 minutes at a cold bus stop on a minus 40-degree day just to go wait for another bus. I do wonder about that connection point. So on-demand service, to a degree, makes some sense. But you can't be, hey, I'm going from North York to Mississauga. That's that's never going to fly for $1.50. That's, that's, just not, that's just not a sustainable model. But I want to hear from you at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. Feedback at ami.ca is the email address. Feedback at ami.ca. Or pick up the phone and give the show a call. 1-866-509-4545. one 866 509-4545. You can tell it's a Monday because I want to throw spaghetti off the wall. Or throw spaghetti at the wall. and hope it doesn't bounce off. Coming up after the break, what was the remnants of Hurricane Lee made its way through Atlantic Canada over the weekend? Michelle McQuig of the Canadian Press will stop by with a couple of the newsworthy notes. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. What were the remnants of Hurricane Lee made their way through the Maritimes this weekend? Michelle McQuick can offer up some of the more newsworthy elements from the storm. Michelle is the weekend news editor at the Canadian Press. Hey, good morning, Michelle. Good morning, Dave. So, Michelle, the whole region was bracing, probably as a little bit of an after-effect from Fiona last year. But which areas ended up being most affected? Yeah, so you're right. The whole area was bracing, and it was partially, yes, uh, a little maybe residual PTSD from Fiona, but also that this is what Environment Canada was forecasting, that Lee was going to be a very powerful storm. We were expecting it to hit particularly the uh, south coast of Nova Scotia particularly hard. We had a reporter stationed in Yarmouth, which was actually supposed to be the the place where the storm made landfall. And as hurricanes or post-tropical storms in this case do, it did not follow our plan. Uh, not very nice of it not to heat our memo, but anyway, what can you do? Um, what, what ended up happening was it was pretty broadly impactful in that lots of areas got a lot of heavy rain and some high winds, but it didn't particularly focus on one big area. So most people got what kind of felt more like a glancing blow. It wound up making landfall on that. I didn't realize that Nova Scotia had a Long Island until this weekend, but now I do because that's where Lee made landfall. Communities like Shelburne, not too, too far from Halifax in that general area, um, say what they took what they think is most of the direct hits from this kind of thing. Um, New Brunswick got a ton of rain, uh, but even 
those areas that were under actual hurricane warnings uh, got off relatively lightly. So New Brunswick yeah. and Nova Scotia really bore the brunt of it, but it's hard to isolate a specific area because it was kind of piecemeal in terms of yeah. which one got hit the hardest, and even that being hit hard is relative. There was a little bit of damage, again, not mm-hmm. talking about wide-scale destruction, but there was a little bit of damage. What was some of the scale? What were some of the, what were some of the notable damage points? Lots and lots of toppled trees. So the main effect that people will be talking about after this weekend was power outages. That's a big one that's still happening. Lots of downed power lines that are still being repaired. Um, uh, Quite a bit of shoreline erosion in some of the harder hit coastal communities. Those are the ones that really took it hardest. Uh, So you've seen areas where, you know, wharfs were dragged into the ocean some certain distance, but not necessarily fully washed away. Uh, there are some areas that lost a good, you know, four feet or so of beach, which is which is concerning and has its repercussions. Um, but we don't we have we didn't hear a lot about major damage to homes. Fortunately, no lives lost, no injuries reported that we're aware of so far. Although it's worth noting that we're still taking stock to some degree. Yeah, um, yeah. Th- things like things like power outages that could be a little bit more residual, right? Like for example, after exactly, Fiona yeah. PEI, it was like weeks in some places before they got power back. Exactly right. But even even now, this seems to be a better situation. Uh, first of all, PEI, fortunately, d- did not get the full wrath of the yeah, storm like yeah. it did with Fiona. But in this case, um, the numbers were, were decreasing significantly even through yesterday. I'm not sure where they stand as of this morning, but uh, from a peak of about 120,000 people without power on Saturday and 31,000 or thereabouts in New Brunswick, um, those numbers had already been cut by more than half as of yesterday. There is still a storm churning its way uh, through the region, what's left of Lee, uh, Gulf of St. Lawrence, maybe Newfoundland and Labrador. What is the anticipated sort of residual effect here of what's left? Newfoundland and Labrador were supposed to get some rain and then some storm activity last night, but significantly weakened, like there was no imminent risk. Uh, it was supposed to be not too far from Ile de la Madeleine in Quebec uh, as it washed away there. But again, uh, more muted impacts expected. It really turned out to be uh, less of a big thing than we mm-hmm. than we expected, fortunately, which is nice. But what's interesting, though, is that Environment Canada was, or excuse me, the National Hurricane Centre, uh, the meteorologist there was talking about how it might feel like a bit of a letdown, but it really the issue there was that some communications seemed to have gone somewhat awry and there was a lot of uh, speculation on things that were not talked about, like the, the connection between New Brunswick and Nova Scotia being washed away, which was never in the cards. Mm-hmm. And in terms of forecasting, they're saying exactly they got exactly what they were expecting, even if the public did not. Mm. Now, because maybe the situation wasn't as drastic, one of your colleagues was able to share a pretty fun story about some people who kept their wedding plans in place over the weekend. <laughs> this is my colleague Hina Alam's superpower. She uh, she actually found another married couple getting married in the middle of Fiona too. So now we joke that she's like the bridal hurricane reporter. <laughs> um, but she also is just very talented at finding human interest stories around every corner this is what she does and this was the case here she she bumped into a couple who were a bit stressed on saturday morning as they were trying to figure out how to get married and how to go ahead with this they had planned to get married at uh, the the wharf in saint stephen new brunswick which was obviously not going to happen on the saturday um but they did manage to pivot and they had a ceremony uh at a at a civic center and that wound up ultimately going off with very little drama and it actually sounds like a really lovely day and Hina did a great job telling that sweet story definitely a day they'll uh, they'll never forget some friends of mine no got, got married during the uh, 2018 tornadoes in ottawa and they got married without power and had just as much fun either which way married by that's candlelight, awesome. uh, romantic <laughs> through and through very romantic yeah. exactly yeah michelle over to the other end of the country there have been a series mm. of earthquakes north of vancouver island over the last few days now when i say yeah. a series how many earthquakes uh, I'm trying to think. There have been more than 30 or so yes. in the past week plus, which, and there were three yesterday, which is kind of what got this on our radar. We, uh, we were looking at this and, and they happened way, way, like well west of Port of Port Hardy, uh, kind of in the middle of the ocean. There was no la- land impact. They weren't felt. There were no injuries. But I still found myself saying, what, what's going on here? And my colleague, Brianna Charlebois in Vancouver was wondering the same thing. So she rang up a seismologist. And uh, turns out that every now and then uh, in this particular area, 
there's a whole big cluster of earthquakes. <laughs> and that's because this is a pretty seismically active area around there. It's called the, I didn't realize this before. It's called the Queen Charlotte Triple Junction. And apparently that's where three tectonic plates meet. So there is often some seismic activity. The seismologist was saying it's not at all uncommon to see something about once a month. But now and then there winds up being a whole cluster of earthquakes, a little swarm as they called them, like what we've been seeing the past week. And apparently that's entirely normal. And the fact that there's been no impact and, and no effect is 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 right on point. Um, it's just something that seismologists find interesting and like to keep an eye on. Yeah, it's uh, it's very interesting the amount of seismic activity that occurs in that neck of the woods. It's not just that necessarily mm-hmm. triple uh, plate zone. There's also a subduction zone right off Vancouver Island and the uh, yep. northwest Pacific coast, which can cause uh, some major earthquakes. That's the big one they're always talking about. Michelle, did you know that people in cities like Vancouver and Victoria and Seattle in school have earthquake and tsunami drills because of all that seismic I did. activity. And that, that's always struck me as wild. This, this Ontario girl has never had to go through that, even though we felt earthquakes here once or, once or twice, but nothing like what they have to potentially contend with. I did know they do do drills, and that's kind of fun to... Uh, kind of a bit of a fun fact fortunately though they've never really had to use them at least not Vancouver yeah. way in my lifetime it's good to know that Lake Ontario is not going to cause a big tsunami on us at least in the current conditions who knows what the way nature is going uh Michelle always the optimist love it <laughs> always the optimist Michelle thank you for this have a great week talk to you on Friday as part of the news panel you too take care Dave that's Michelle McQuig weekend news editor at the Canadian Press Coming up after the break, you get to meet the show's newest community reporter. It's Mara Hutchinson. She'll stop by to tell you about her recent experience at Canada's Wonderland, the Toronto staple through and through. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. There is a new community reporter joining the show. Mara Hutchinson will be taking on the role of calm reporter for the Toronto region. Saying good morning to Mara. Mara, welcome aboard. Great to have you as part of the team. Hi, guys. I'm so excited. I'm just so giggly right now. (laughs) Well, you've got some experiences to share about uh, late summer fun around Toronto. But before you share them, introduce yourself. Who is Mara Hutchinson? What makes you tick? Oh, um, well, pretty much I, I guess you can call a social influencer or... So I use a lot of my work and my stories and put it out there on my platform on Instagram. And I am a 40-year-old mom, wife, and I'm legally blind, and I am and I have um, my conditions were tinnitus pigmentosa, and I'm also, I was also diagnosed with Usher syndrome, so I have a bit of hearing loss as well. But I use my platform to pretty much just share my story and what I'm all about, what I like, what I don't like, and that we can just make things happen. And, well, yeah. Well, I'm really looking forward to get a lot of that perspective talking to you here every couple of weeks over the course of yes. the of the next year. So let's start with a little bit of fun because summertime okay. in, in the Greater Toronto area is associated with lots of fun stuff. One of the yes. big ticket outings is a trip to Canada's Wonderland. What's your favorite part about the amusement park experience? Honestly, I think it's the fact that I have a kid. Um, I have a son. He's turning six, and doing everything, all the rides and eating the fun, like just the good stuff is always so great when you have a little one and seeing it from their eyes. Because back in the day, you know, it's different. It's a different lifestyle. And now when you see this huge amusement park, it's just so different. The feeling is so wild and it's so great and everything is exciting. So that's what I love about it. Yeah, there's that cliche, right, of seeing joy and the world through a child's eyes, but there really is something about it. There's this untapped, unbridled enthusiasm that just totally makes sense about it. Okay, so Mara, I will confess to you, I do not like large crowds of people. I am an albino, so a sunburn is pretty much in the cards if I spend a lot of time outdoors in the summer. Amusement parks aren't my thing. 
but I will I will grit it and bear it for the right experience. So what about some tips about making the experience at Wonderland a little bit more accessible? So when you enter, uh, I'm so I'm so amazed by this. So you when you enter, there's an actual disability line that we can all use rather than waiting and standing out in that long line. And as soon as you enter, you can go to guest services and you can tell them about your needs and what you know what you what's going on with you your disabilities everything that you need and they can accommodate and they will accommodate in terms of your ride accessibility your and just everything i guess that you would have to let them know what you want what you don't want and they'll take care of you so i was able to tell them my situation and how i'm legally blind and this and it was just a great experience in terms of having them to be more accessible and giving and able to be there with my son too. There's really something about having teams on the ground and people on the ground. Certainly you want places like this to have good policy in place, but every now and then you do still need to encounter other humans to go interact and get advice. And maybe that human is going to understand the policy or the procedure a little bit better than you or I might be able to and offer some insights, right? Like actually be able to make you maximize your experience. For sure. So I was just living it in terms of, you know what, the crowd can be very, very, you know, some people are nice, some people are not, but there's pathways, people are giving you your way, and it's just nice to just wander and feel able to just be in that crowd and experience everything that's around there. Mm. Well, as you mentioned, maybe a crowded amusement park isn't quite the ideal summer cup of tea for someone. There is always the great outdoors. And despite what people think about the concrete jungle that is the GTA, there are some nice outdoor places like the Trans-Canada Trail, Hilton Falls. So how have you been using the Access Now app developed by our friend MindZiv to maximize your outdoor adventures? Well, I would Google it. I mean, I would go on the app and search wherever I want to go. I did Arendale Park, Hilton Falls, and just to kind of see what the comments are there, what's good, what's not, what's around. And that is the whole amazing thing about this app. It's just that before you even go on, you can get a feel of every, other people's experiences. So you can comment on that if there's any barriers to what what to look out for. So you can Google it, like you can type any location and it'll be there. Or if there isn't, you can experience and share your own experience. I try this trail, I try this place. And if it's not good for you, these are the things that I could recommend. So which is amazing about this amazing app and it's all across Canada. Yeah. So yeah. It's it's a really really amazing app. And like you said, it's almost like crowdsourcing feedback and saying, "Hey, maybe this wasn't quite up to snuff from an accessibility perspective, but here's a workaround or if you like this, there's a good spot down down the down a little bit, like down 20 minutes down the road if you want to go there." It just makes so much sense to have people with disabilities sharing their experiences in one place. Of of course. And you know what? It gets us out there as well, trying the trails or just going for a walk or some sort of something, enjoying the outdoors, right? And yeah. it's just a huge, huge game changer. I, I, again, I'm, I'm not the biggest outdoors person in the world, but I yeah. do like going for a hike on a nice, a nice curated trail. It's a nice way to spend an afternoon or spend a couple of hours. What do you find so striking about the Trans-Canada Trails? For me is that it allows me to actually explore Canada because I've been to Vancouver a few times and we all know Vancouver has like the beautiful mountains and the hikes and I was always so terrified. So it gets me out there in terms of exploring more of what what the country has to offer, even just being outside of the GTA and just sharing this experience with friends or with our families. Yeah, the, so I'm just looking forward to that. Yeah, there's some stuff in Huron County that I really want to put my feet on. I have not had the opportunity yet since I moved here a couple of years ago, but maybe next summer, maybe next spring, next summer, we're fi- we're finally going to sure. go. I do a little bit of adventuring in the area. Hey, Mara, yeah. thank you for taking a little bit of thank time this you. morning. It's so nice to meet you. Really so looking nice forward to having an ongoing conversation here over the course of the next uh, year or so. Me too, Dave. Thank you for having me. That's Mara Hutchinson, new community reporter. On now with Dave Brown.
representing the Toronto area, the GTA. Because as I tell you all the time, I might live in Toronto, but I am not a Torontonian. In 60 seconds, Megan Gilmore will share the weather story of the day. But first, here is Canadian press reporter Rob Westgate with your Morning Business Minutes. Bay Street closed out last week with a small gain, thanks in part to good performances from financial stocks and the battery metals sector. Toronto's S&P TSX gaining 54 points to close at 20,622. In New York, the Dow Jones Industrial Average lost 289 points to settle at 34,618, while the Nasdaq fell 218 points down to 13,708. Shares are mostly lower in Asia this morning with Tokyo's markets closed for a national holiday. Metro Media will declare bankruptcy this week, permanently ending its coverage of local government in parts of Quebec's two largest cities. Meantime, Parliament is set to resume today and Statistics Canada's August Consumers Price Index report will be out on Tuesday. As for the loonie, it's trading this morning at 74.06 cents US. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Rob Westgate. Thank you very much, Rob. That's your look at business. Megan Gilmore, Michelle McQuig stepped on your beat a little bit in regards to the weather story of the day. That's okay, though, Megan, because there's still lots of good stuff to talk about. In fact, it's a little bit of a good news story for a lot of the country on the weather fronts. Yeah, I mean, it's a good news story if you, like, are super fans of, like, summer temperatures and you're not dying to, like, fall into fall yet. <laughs> so, you know, depends on how you feel on the fall side of things. So Yeah, yeah, continue- but Megan, Megan, even a couple of the numbers you're going to drop on us here, it's not exactly like heat oh, wave yeah. numbers. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. Like, you don't need to, like, ramp up your air conditioner quite yet again. Um, So we are continuing to follow a story we brought to you on Friday, the high temperatures that are welcoming many people back to fall in several parts of Canada. So Regina, Saskatchewan, you're all looking at a forecast high of 27 degrees today, which is very high. Yeah, not too shabby. Um, Yeah. Yeah, it's not too shabby out there, shabby out there in Regina. But the rest of the week, uh, the forecast highs in Regina are between 17 and 22 degrees. So that's like a 10-degree difference between 17 and 27 in a week. Welcome to Canada. Um, the high in Winnipeg today is expected to be 26 degrees, and it will go up to 28 degrees tomorrow. At least that's what it's forecast to be. And then temperatures are forecast to stay in the 20s for the rest of the week. In Toronto, where you are, Dave, the high is forecast to be between 21 and 23 degrees for the next week, like just straight on for the next seven days. Come on, it's golfing weather. That's sweet golf, fall golfing weather. Yeah, you know, let's uh, let's bring out this baseball season in style. And then also a similar story here in Ottawa, where the high is forecast to be 22 degrees today, and the highs will be between 18 and 22 for uh, most of the week. Uh, but our forecast to get as high as 24 by Friday. And then over in Montreal, looking at a high of 19 for today, temperatures set to rise to 23 for Friday. And then over in Halifax, where gratefully things are not what we thought they would be after Lee, the highs are forecast to be between 18 and 22 this week. So it looks like we still have some warmer temperatures, although you do have to remember those single digit temperatures that you will encounter uh, throughout your early mornings and your evenings but it looks like summer may just want to stay on for a little bit longer yeah it's a reminder about layers you and i were talking about sweaters on on friday i still have yet to bust out the hoodie but it's probably (laughs) getting close like we're right there in terms of needing to put the zip up on in the morning or having the fall coat ready but megan i think the broad takeaway here is when you say that for the majority of the country you're looking at between 17 and 27 as highs for the rest of the week come on like that's just beautiful like that's just gorgeous beautiful weather like like that is right in the zone where pretty much nobody will complain it's true actually so i was uh listening to uh the baseball games over the weekend where the toronto blue jays finally learned how to hit a ball again and uh one of the broadcasters i think it was buck martinez was mentioning that like september baseball is like the best weather 
because it's like comfortable and you're not sitting there like dying in heat, sweating the whole time, being like, why did I decide to spend three hours of my life in this like heat dome trying to watch people hit a ball around? Uh, so yeah, like as much as some of us do like to curl up in the fall with cozy beverages and warm blankets and all the things, like get outside and enjoy this because it's not gonna be here that long. Yeah, like don't worry, that opportunity is coming for you. Like oh, that yeah. opportunity is imminent. So don't like, don't worry about it. Don't sweat it, literally don't sweat it this week. Yeah. Go enjoy this because there will be the opportunity for all the flannel, all the flannel you could wear, all the slippers <laughs> you can find. There's going to be no shortage of chances to be chilly or cold. So yeah, enjoy this while you can. I was uh, out for a walk on Saturday night, took the old doggo for a stroll and had a really lovely time. I don't know, it was like 8 o'clock or 8.30, somewhere around there. I was taking a little break from football because I had already watched too much in anticipation of watching way too much more and took a nice little stroll, nice little 30-40 minute stroll with the old doggo. She had a great time. I had a great time. It was lovely. Just like shorts and a comfy t-shirt. Oh my gosh. Top tier and the sun was down, which made me super happy. Didn't run into the skunk. I mean, it was winds all around, Megan Gilmore. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. No, no sunburns, no skunks. What more do you want? To I mean, come on, come on. This is good living. Uh, Megan, thank you for this. Always great to have you stop by. Talk to you uh, for the round table in about an hour. Yes. See you then. That is Megan Gilmore with your big weather story of the day coming up after the break. What I hope to be more joy and optimism and excitement you know accessibility standards can vary from one country to another, but there are lots of positive, accessible travel experiences. You'll find out if Kim Thistle is having fun with accessible travel in Italy. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. What was your favorite board game when you were a child? Maybe it was a computer game when you played this. Maybe it was a children's television game show. Where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? A game where you had to find a arch criminal as she was doing jobs and robberies all over the world, stealing stuff. Well... I don't think Now with Dave Brown columnist Kim Thistle is stealing stuff on her accessible journeys across Europe, but I am curious, where in the world is Kim Thistle? So let's find out. Hey, good morning, Kim. Hey, good afternoon here from beautiful Capri. Capri, and I should say ciao. That's how everyone, you in, before, when you enter in a business and you leave and you say hello to, ciao to everybody. So here I'm in beautiful Capri and it is amazing. And you were talking weather. We're in the high 20s all the time. Sweat rolling off us. But here I have my I Love Capri sticker. That's for my bus, half on, half off bus. And I'm wearing my Pazzatano hat. Italiana, so I'm I'm a tourist. <laughs> so you are you are <laughs> you are a tourist, but ciao ciao and welcome aboard, Kim. So last time you popped by, you had just just started your trip. You were in Scotland, right? So now it's been a couple of weeks. How's everything unfolding for you here? Holy moly! Where do you want to start? So we've done Scotland, with Orkney Islands. We've been in Creo. We were in Edinburgh for a week. We took a detour to London. My partner said to me on a Saturday night, "Want to go to London next week?" We went to London on Tuesday for a week. So, yeah. And now we're. This is the planned part of our trip was to come to Sorrento area, which is the southern part of Italy, and um, to visit the different um, the Amalfi Coast. So we saw the different cities and the towns along the coast. That's our plan here. Oh, Kim, I like the itinerary. It sounds good. The idea of a little bit of a swerve yeah. to London, I find interesting. London is one of these cities that I can't say I've got circled on my map because I feel like it's so crowded and so big that mm. I might not like it, but it's also a city loaded with culture. So that's how you might get sucked yeah. in from time to time, right? Like, oh, it's yeah. really big, but it's really big. And because it's really big, it has a lot of cool stuff. What did you think of London? 
London, we really liked, like you said, very, very busy. I'm not going to lie. And crowded. And, and But the trams, not the tram system, the subway system, very efficient. People were very, like when they see me with my white cane, very receptive, moved out of the way or assisted me. Um, we went to two shows. We saw Hamilton, live theater, and Tina. And when I went in for Hamilton, this young <clears throat> fella comes up to me and says, you Kim Thistle, I'm your attendant, Edward. And then when we went into to Tina, they called over the access person. So they have a set up to have accessibility. Someone, to, your attendant, show you where the washroom is, if you need any help with anything, um, direct you to the entrance when you leave. And in London and even Scotland have these toilets they call disability toilets, which I don't, not so much I like the term, but it, you don't have to go downstairs. And they've built them in on the main level, and they may not have had them before. So I really like the accessibility in that part. Warren, my partner, has been a huge, 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 huge help for accessibility and my sighted guide. Mm. But London did have some accessibility and people looking out for me. But, you know, it, it was pretty good. It's busy. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, it's a lot, lot of people. Especially when you're going somewhere new where there's a lot of different languages yes. to speak. It's very nice to have someone who actually knows you as a bit of a guide who can uh, be your key confidants. But I'm curious, Kim, now yes. that you've been to all of these different places, you're on vacation. Right. Obviously, you're not thinking about accessibility all of the time. But what are some of yes. your accessibility observations here from place to place, whether it was Scotland, London, or mm -hmm. where, as you've been bouncing around Italy? Okay, well, like I said, Scotland and London and England, England were very accessible. And, you know, when they saw me coming, in a sense, everyone moves out of the way. Um, the, like I said, the disabled toilet, they, oh, I meant to say the theater, if I had known, if, I wish they had told me, but they have days that they have interpreting available, plus there's date days with described video audio available in london scotland they were very accessible you see you coming they move out of the way i'm not finding it so much here in italy are you oh i don't know if we're still there the picture's not there are you still there dave yeah i'm still kim kim, kim i'm still here yeah. it just looks okay, like you're sorry. looks like okay. you had a little, little video snap so it's all good just keep talking to me kim okay perfect okay so um it's unusual i'm finding like the, the accessibility we are in an old city right an old country so i mean the thing is medieval i should say like with their stone walls and their stone steps and like it could be big stones it could be smaller cobblestone and that there's not a warning that you're you're on a step and then you're gone down so warren has been the one who said okay we're coming to another step and the step could be a foot or it could be six inches and it varies that way and it's difficult doing the um the sweep as i call it you know how we use our white cane because it hooks up in the this this the cobblestone that's where warren comes in he's been a fabulous you know sighted guide occasionally i've seen contrasts on stairs very rarely there's steps everywhere which is great we're getting over twelve thousand steps a day <laughs> but there's steps as in like you know, wood um, cobblestone steps, and then you go up to the next level, next level, and it's all done in in levels. So that part of accessibility, I'm not, I hate to say it, but I found in London and Scotland, they were more receptive about the white cane. Here is like, they see it, but it's not, oh well, whatever. And it's, it's the tourists who are moving aside for me. Yeah. Uh, Kim, it's interesting you mentioned maybe a lot of the steps that are involved, the ups and the downs, because there's a couple images that are yeah. being shown on screen right here that, by the way, are stunning of Capri and yeah. the Amalfi Coast, like boats and water wow. and all these houses it, built it's... built into cliffs. Like, it's yes. stunning and it's gorgeous, but I wonder about by the nature of the construction and age of the city. I'm not excusing a lack of accessibility, but I'm maybe yes. empathizing and understanding from a city planner perspective, how on earth do we make this city more accessible? Exactly, how do we protect? Now, I will add that they do have elevators in a lot of the places there's an elevator that goes in through the mountain. So that would get you from the top level and get you down like for us to go to the marina where we had a fabulous meal last you know, Saturday night. So that's available but that's not everywhere kim you mentioned fabulous meal i it's it's i mean it's mm. it's pretty early here in the day in toronto for me to be fantasizing mm. about italian food but <laughs> spoiler alert kim i'm always fantasizing about italian food how are the oh, eats Do they, are they living up to the reputation oh, yes 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 and then more so i've been tasting gelato everywhere <laughs> i go 
It's like sometimes I have gelato twice a day, and that's four scoops, four different flavors. So, I mean, gelato, phenomenal. Limoncello, have you heard of that? That's mm-hmm. their 30, that's their liqueur. <gasps> and every region makes it. I think every bar and every family makes their own lemon, lemon, how am I say? Limoncello, I hope I say it right. And But the meal we had on the waterfront last Saturday night, and it was... You see the fishermen coming in with their catch, and it's a cooperative owned by fishermen. A delicious. Warren had spaghetti and clams. We had mussels as an appetizer, and I had mixed fish. I still don't know what kind of fish I had. All I know, I had calamari. I had a fish with his head left on it. looked like a big shrimp, and then there was another fish, a little bit like mackerel. Phenomenal. I mean, I... I was using my bread and dipping up the liquid from the, the mussels. Like, and I and I said to Warren, I said, oh, my gosh, this is better than Newfoundland. And I said, oh, my gosh, could I be even saying that out loud? And I just said it. <laughs> it is delicious. Everything we've had. Even the pizza. We had a pizza this big today for lunch. I eat. <laughs> Kim, you're making me drool. You're you're making my mouth water over here. So I've got, I've got to pivot off this. As, as a concluding thought, yeah. I know you've already done quite a bit here as part of your agenda. What's right. left? Where do you go from here? Well, I'm here. We're going back to Creole. That's where my partner's family are and the grandchildren. So we're going to spend a little bit of time with them. Then we're taking a road trip to the Highlands for a week and see Loch Ness and Stirling Castle. Kim, when I grow up, I want to be Kim Thistle. <laughs> so thank you for making me fantasize a little bit this morning. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me and here in beautiful Capri. Ah, oh, beautiful Capri. That is Kim Thistle coming to you live on location from an alleyway in Capri, Italy. Of course, Kim is a columnist on Now with Dave Brown. In one minute, Amanda Shikarchi will share the entertainment report all about the Toronto International Film Festival, which is in the books. But first, Apple is showing off their new watches. Chuck Severson straps in for another edition of Tech Trends. The Series 9 looks like past Apple Watches. And that's because what's really new is internal. That's The Verge's senior wearables reviewer, Victoria Song. And it's got a four-core neural engine. And this is just basically a really techie, fancy way of saying it's more powerful, more power efficient than in years past. The Ultra 2, Apple's other new watch, also powered by the latest tech and hardware, but its price starts at around $800. What we've seen so far is that it's really people who want the biggest, the bestest, and the longest lasting battery. And those are the people who tend to go for the Ultra. Touted as the most rugged and capable yet, Apple says the Ultra 2 is the perfect partner for demanding activities like mountain trekking and scuba diving. With Tech Trends, I'm Chuck Sievertson, ABC News. Thank you very much, Chuck. That's Chuck filling in for Mike Dubusky. I don't think Mike Dubusky's taken a single day off in 2023. So Mike Dubusky, hardest working man in the media business. But Chuck Sievertson stepping up in a big way. Let's turn to the world of entertainment. Amanda Shikarchi, the Toronto International Film Festival is in the books. Thank you, Dave. Yeah, so yesterday was the final day at TIFF, September 17th. American Fiction won the People's Choice Award at the festival. This was the first time director Jeff Kaur directed a film. He is known for writing shows like Succession and Watchmen. American Fiction stars Jeffrey Wright and is adapted from the 2001 novel Eraser. The film is a satire about an author who resents that the literary community are more interested in Black books that focus on stereotypical themes like trauma and misery. So Dave, this film festival has been an interesting due to the writers and actors strike. How do you think the strike affected the success of the festival? So I've got to confess to you, Amanda, full-blown confession. I have not been officially downtown in a couple of weeks. I avoid the TIFF scene like the plague, but I will say talking to a few people in the industry, 
there was just a little bit less of the hobnobbing and networking this year, that some of those opportunities to collaborate or talk about future projects just weren't there in the same way. There was still a lot going on. There was still a lot of fun being had. There were still people celebrating their art, but because people, because uh, actors could not actually come down and promote their work, they were not allowed to promote their work. It really did put a little bit of like a damper on the red carpet side of things. A lot of the glitz and the glamour. And I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing, but you definitely felt the glitz and the glamour was a little bit lower this year in sort of broader mass media coverage. Yeah, I totally agree. But I think it also, um, we were able to have a nice lineup of films that kind of, you know, obviously it's not the same, but it was definitely a nice touch of seeing, you know, how hard they curated what films will be mm -hmm. shown. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering, what are your hopes for next year's festival? Well, I hope that the uh, writers and the actors and the studios reach a deal that makes everyone feel compensated so you can get a little bit of that glitz and glamour back for uh, for the people in the industry who want to have that. Uh, Amanda, I want to pick up on something you just said about the curation of the films. I wonder with less star power at the festival, if a film like American Fiction was able to make a little more space for itself. Because when you think about someone who was in the writing behind an HBO show like Succession or Watchmen, which was an amazing show on HBO, you wonder if that actually may have made more space for newer voices and newer ideas to be platformed as part of the festival. I, I, I wonder if maybe that's actually one of the positive things here. I wonder if that's maybe something that they can pull next year to say how do we continue to make sure that maybe less mainstream stars and mainstream directors are finding themselves at the top of the top of the pile I, I, I wonder if there's maybe a lesson that can be learned there from TIFF organizers yeah definitely that's something I was going to say too I definitely hope that you know by next year we'll see more of the actors getting a chance to promote their work but also seeing a diverse lineup of films both you know with the crew involved both behind and in front of the camera and you know continue to tell these unique stories and as you said portray these these voices so yeah that's that's those are my thoughts so well well, Amanda, thank you for this. Have a great day. Talk to you tomorrow. Yes, thank you so much, Dave. That's Amanda Shikarchi talking all about the Toronto International Film Festival in the books. I promise you, the, the center of the universe idea of Toronto will hopefully be uh, dissipating over the course of the next hour of the show. I'll do my best. I promise. I told you earlier in the hour, I might live in Toronto. I'm not a Torontonian. This is a national television show. National. Although today with Kim Thistle, international in Capri, Italy. Coming up after the break, I've got the regional news update. Then John Lepke will stop by for a sports chat. Lots of National Football League action to discuss. Also, uh, Columbus Blue Jackets head coach Mike Babcock resigned before the season even started. So nice long career for Mike Babcock in Columbus. Aaron Rodgers had a longer season than Mike Babcock did. Anyway, we'll get to that after the break. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.